0: I'm Leslie Bega. I played Valentina on The Sopranos. You're listening to Pada Bing.
1: I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos, one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Potabang. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabang on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Leslie Bega. Leslie played Valentina on the show. Leslie joined me in studio back in February to discuss her experience on The Sopranos and her thriving real estate career post Sopranos. I waited to release this episode until the podcast was lined up with her appearance on the show. Special thanks to Leslie for being a part of this. That's all I got. So here it is, my fun chat with Leslie Bega. Enjoy. So Leslie, thank you for being here.
0: Well, you're welcome.
1: First off, you're in Tarantino's new movie. I did a little IMDb deep dive before we got together. Uh, once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Congratulations. What can you share about that?
0: Nothing. <laughs>
1: yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so.
0: <laughs> no, but I, I can tell you, um, it, it really is a, it's, it's nothing. It's basically like a glorified extra little type of bleep. But um, I was at a fundraiser charity event. It was for General Motors. And uh, I was with Penny Marshall, who I did... Um, Get Shorty with, I, I worked on Get Shorty with some fantastic actors, Ben Stiller, John Travolta, Gene Hackman, um, Danny DeVito. And I became friends with Penny, who was such an incredible talent. And I was sitting with her and I saw Quentin. And during the course of my career, I, I studied just the, the great filmmakers of our time. When I, I remember when I was at USC studying film, I was a cinema major and a drama minor. Um, I was obsessed with with the old filmmakers like um, Louis Spinwell, Fassbinder, uh, Vernon Herzog, um, Browning, and I would just, I would literally devour just these, these fantastic filmmakers and, and creators and artists. So, Quentin, over the years, along with a few others, uh, had become one of my just favorite filmmakers. I just think he has such a profound perception on not only humanity, but human relationships. Um, I felt the same way about David Lynch when I was studying David Lynch in college, and uh, I saw a racer head, and I, w- I was just hellbent on on meeting him and working with David Lynch one day, and I did. I worked with him on Lost Highway.
1: Did you major in film in college? I was a
0: cinema major and a drama minor. Um, and I studied uh, all through my life since I was six years old and I was on stage. I started off uh, doing musical theater because my mom was a, a big Broadway musical theater star. And uh, I fell asleep under the orchestra pits and listening to these these great musicals and that's how I actually got started was uh, I snuck up into the wardrobe department. In those days you could. Everything was pretty much open. They're not now. But I would dress up and I would do my, you know, my one-woman act playing 53 different characters. And I got caught <laughs> by by the producers and the cast and people that were coming in. And they would watch me and I would sing. And I, I ended up doing my first play at, at – Seven years old, called the pa- the Patriots, and I did my first musical. I did Gypsy, and but you know, my I was growing up watching my mom on stage, Cabaret, Sweet Charity, Bye Bye Birdie, Oklahoma, and these were great musicals that had such an incredible impact on my life. Years later, as I studied the great playwrights, because we had we had our library, but we had a library of plays, so I was. Reading at a very young age, Ibsen, Chekhov, Eugene O'Neill, Strindberg, Shaw, Pinter, um, Shakespeare. I would I would recite Shakespeare, and then I ended up studying Shakespeare with one of the number one Shakespearean vocal and teachers in in the world, um, Patsy Roddenberg. And
1: where was this? Was this in uh, L.A. or was L.A. In- New York,
0: okay. uh, London, you name it. Wherever I can go and study, and I was working with Larry Moss over the last. I have been. He's been my mentor and been under his tutelage for the last 25 years. I mean, he's, he's probably had the most profound impact on my life, that man. He's incredible. Um, so How? Um, I learned so much about the human condition from him because he's been 35 years in therapy, and he brings so much to the table. Uh, Ironically, in the the last years of Stella Adler's life, I studied with Stella, I studied with Lee Strasberg, I studied with different uh, Roy London, different teachers, um, Peggy Fury, Bill Traylor over the years. Uh, But when I met Larry, the second I met him, my eyes started tearing. I was staring at this man, and my eyes, I just started uncontrollably tearing and crying, not understanding what was happening. And I said, I have a feeling you're going to have such an incredible impact on my life. And I don't know how, but I feel it. And years later, I knew I knew that he did. I think you'd really have to, to understand, I can't articulate it. You'd have to understand how he breaks down um, these stories and he breaks down plays not just scene by scene, but he goes into the depth of the human condition of life, of relationships, and he studied it It with such gravitas, like he's put his heart, soul, and life into studying humanity and people, uh, intentions, and I've just learned a lot about life from him, and I've been introduced to some incredible people through him, uh, um, from studying Alexander Technique to meeting Patsy Roddenberg, I mean, it just, it, it really, he really has opened uh, up my life and in, in a profound I, I, I You don't have time in this podcast for me to go into it, honestly. Yeah. Getting back to what your original question was, studying. Um, Not only the great playwrights. And then years later, you know, I became obsessed with Mamet and with uh, John Patrick Shanley. And and I'd go on my hiatuses when I was on Head of the Class. I would, instead of doing movies like my agent probably wanted me to do, I would go to New York and do Shakespeare in the Park for free. Because that was my love. That was my passion. And I didn't feel like I was getting that on a sitcom. I was getting something else on the sitcom. It was filling another aspect of my career. But my creative and artistic integrity was really fulfilled when I was studying and performing the great playwrights. And and I still go into my closet and recite Shakespeare. I can recite sonnets right now on a whim, you know, because <laughs> it's just something that I love so much. Um... So back to the directors. Uh, directors were like playwrights to me as well, and Quentin Tarantino was always someone that I really had a fascination with, um, and his and his unique perception on humanity. So I asked Penny to introduce me, and she did. And I said, "It is my dream to work with you. I don't care in what capacity. I don't even care if I'm a PA. I need, I need to 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 study you and to study your." process and uh and I got to have an opportunity to work on this and it was really funny too because I hadn't seen Brad Pitt for years. I uh he played my boyfriend on head of the class. He hadn't done anything and his then manager Cynthia Pet came in to work with my manager Laurie Rodkin. Now Laurie Laurie handled the brat, the brat Pack. We were the Brat Pack of Hollywood. It was Robert Downey Jr., Sarah Jessica Parker, Virginia Madsen, Judd Nelson. I mean, Pete Berg, who's a huge director. Yeah. Uh, on and on. And Cynthia came in with one client, and it was Brad. <laughs> and they were just so happen- happening to cast uh, my boyfriend on the show, and I suggested it, him to him to come read. And he came in and read and got it. Um and I have it's been what 25 some odd years. Yeah. Uh so seeing him was really kind of interesting and he's got such a great role. You can you can look any of this up. I'm not um doing a spoiler alert, but he uh he plays Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double. So he's an actor and Leo's the actor, but Leo's playing an actor in the film and Brad's playing oh, his stunt double. It, it's it's so great the way Quentin combines um just the depth of these little idiosyncrasies of life and humanity and the the scariest aspects of life as well i mean you know manson you know how do how do you even talk about a a person like that without if if anyone is going to do a story on manson and and add some humor to it. The only person that can do it is Quentin. Sure, there's no other filmmaker that I can possibly fathom that could do something like that. Agreed. Just like Django, just like, you know, uh, Inglorious Bastards. I mean, how how can you talk about the Holocaust? I mean, those were my people. I had I had relatives that died in the Holocaust, and and watching something like that, how how can he make me laugh? Yeah, when it was just such. Um, an injustice to humanity that way. And Quentin has that ability.
1: Well, the reason I made it my first question is because I actually recently had lunch um, with somebody next to Arclight on Sunset. And we got completely um, bombarded by the actual filming. They were filming like a car, like a scene, and Quentin was on Sunset in his little thing, and everybody, he stopped traffic, People got out like they were on their way to work or they were on their way to their meetings and I had a lunch meeting and we both just decided to stand and watch because it's not very often that you can see somebody shut down sunset for a period piece, right? All the cars were vintage. The facade of the buildings on on the south side of Sunset looked like they were from, the movie takes place in the 60s and 70s, I'm guessing, right?
0: Right. And that's the only place actually along Sunset, especially east in more Hollywood where you can find the authentic places places. where everyone went.
1: But they had the facades redone for the purposes of the filming. Right. And they're still there, some of the buildings. But um, that's where this question came from. I saw it happening (laughs) and then I saw your name and I was like, wow, I have to ask. And it was
0: really funny too because we were filming, like you said, that he had all the authentic cars and he would shut down streets at a time. And um, one of the places was over on Argyle and Ivar and I was selling a property, a big, huge, massive commercial construction property over there. And I was looking at the property, looking at myself on set because I do real estate. I've been doing real estate for 18 years. I do commercial residential real estate and I started off as an investor with my theatrical money. That's how I started. Um, So So you
1: invested wisely.
0: Invested wisely nice <laughs> um, and I'm able to help people, yeah, invest wisely yeah I'm, that was that's my forte is finding great, viable, profitable investment opportunities for people and helping them with their investments. I mean real estate is an investment, and I was working on this one property uh, right on the corner we're exactly where we were filming and, sh- and everything was shut down. And I, and I thought this is the most interesting aspect of my life. And I was looking up at the tower records. Uh, I mean, not the tower, the Capitol records building yeah. the, the round one and, um, everything to me, I see my, I see, I see everything as a filmmaker. Everything started turning into black and white. And I saw that, you know, everything was, was coming together for me visually. And, uh, I mean, it, listen. It, it's it's why I love working with these incredible filmmakers. This is why, because they're so true to the integrity of the craft, and they're yeah. not they're not gonna they're not gonna walk through anything. Their their whole mission is to tell the story exactly how it is. And during those days, whether it was whether these my mom recalls these days going to tommy's burgers and that's we were filming at tommy's we're filming at all these different iconic spots uh el coyote was there since the 60s and i grew up here
1: your mom was a stage actress
0: she was a broadway star yeah stage actress and then she um and then out here when she came out here they were just doing like my mom and my dad my dad on the side of his business they would do theater whenever they could whether it was community theater whatever theater they could because they just loved it
1: yeah um so uh, you're talking about filmmakers and in my opinion david chase is a filmmaker he is actually is a filmmaker but the show is very much cinema um how did the sopranos happen for you what's the backstory
0: well it's incredible that you say that let me let me just comment on on what you just said um he's an incredible filmmaker and i think he was probably the first artist to come out in television and create a cinematic version of television. Because if you think about it, everything that came out after him on Showtime, HBO, and I I devour it now, whether it's Ray Donovan or Fargo, all these, I mean, there's some incredible, epic television going on right now and I think he I think David Chase was on the precipice of that creating that visually artistically in every way um how it started for me was one of my favorite casting directors Georgianne Walken she's married to Christopher Walken
1: of course yeah
0: another one of my favorite actors and she's brilliant I mean that can't be understated um she was casting Valentina and I I heard that they had a hard time finding her.
1: Finding Valentina.
0: Finding Valentina in New York. And uh, I had just come off of doing a, a Shanley play in New York, and I was back in L.A., and I had a manager at the time that was semi-working with me. He was, I didn't have an agent. He was just this, this uh, manager was semi-working with me and said, I talked to Ann, and if you can get yourself on tape... Back, you know, in two thousand three, it was VHS. If you can get yourself on tape and get it by tomorrow morning to New York, you can put your audition down. So I got the sides, and I also got some sides. I, uh, there were a few things in in the script. I got the script, and I was reading everything. Well, not the whole script because it was it was private. But I got, I said, well, what about the cop? She's she's really interesting to me. Um. And he said, well, you know, if you want, throw yourself on tape for that. But you're throwing yourself on tape for Valentina. So um, I called a casting director friend of mine here, Karen, very talented casting director. And uh, I said, hey, can I borrow your camera? She goes, yeah, I'm not in town, but uh, my boyfriend's at home. Just, you know, go in the door. It's open. Use the camera. And we put it on. We put it on camera we put it on video let
1: me interrupt you for a second though you said talented casting director what makes a casting director talented what does that mean
0: someone who's in it for the right reasons and who really understands an actor's process and really cares about uh, about their connection to telling the story um identifying where they can work with things to bring it to a different level or bring it to where it needs to be if you're not there yet. So there's certain casting directors that will will go, okay, thank you, next. And then there's some casting directors who really care and they, they have an insight and a foresight and they, they can see if you have potential and the capability or not. And if they feel that way about you, they'll work with you. And 99% of these, you know, The time with these certain casting directors that are, I would say, are a handful, Um, they're incredible actors themselves. And instead of going down the route of being an actor, they've gone into casting because they can really identify great actors. So Victoria Thomas can do that, Um, who works with Quentin, and Georgianne Walken was one of my favorites of all time, Joanna Ray, who I met with for David Lynch, Lynch's films. I mean, I have, a ha- I, have a, I have a little secret list of my favorite casting directors who I just really connect with, and you feel safe with them. You feel safe to, to open yourself up to be that vulnerable because even if you're playing a, a tough FBI agent or a cop or whatever you're doing, you have to still uh, feel safe in that kind of environment to be able to access what you need to.
1: Go back to Georgianne Walken for a second. Did she know your manager? Is that how it started? Like, hey, manager, do you know somebody that could be good for this role? Is that how it works? And then is that how you, it sounds like a one needle in a haystack type of thing, you know? And uh, from what I've heard from all the interviews I've done is that they were very particular with New York people. And, And venturing out into LA people or from people from outside of that circle was a big deal. So if you could connect the dots a little bit more tightly, that would be awesome. Like, how did they find you? Was it as simple as hey, I know her manager. Do you know anybody, or is there something else to that?
0: Yeah, well, uh, she knew my work. Okay, and she she knew my manager because my manager was based out in New York, and I just gotten done. He he saw me in a play. I was a Shanley play I was doing uh, in New York, and that's how I met him. And you know he just him and I we just clicked and okay. so I heard that they were casting I I mean I'm very well read I'm always up on the pulse of what's going on in the show industry Show was big
1: and you knew it was like a monster show at that point Oh I like, was I was yeah,
0: I was, yeah I, absolutely yeah. Um and I had already worked with James Gandolfini on um Get Shorty That's right and so I knew his work and I knew him that's how we became friends Um Back to putting myself on tape. Uh, I, I, Karen's boyfriend, <laughs> Preston. It was. We were so. We had so much fun. We just like giggled and laughed and put myself on tape for both roles, and then I went. Now I've got to figure out how to put it on. To a video VHS I got to get this to George Ann I mean no and it now it's getting late in the day and I've got to get it into FedEx so he says oh you know what go downstairs and talk to James I said oh yeah James is downstairs James Marsters was uh, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer great actor um, I think I think underrated in many ways, but he was starring on Buffy the Vampire Slayer at the time. I ran downstairs, knocked on his door. I was like, "Hey, hey, how are you?" And he's like, "Hey, Leslie, what, what's up? You know, you want to go eat? You want to go do something?" I said, "Well, can we put this on? Can you transfer this onto a VHS for me?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, come in, and then we'll go eat." So we transferred everything. I said, Let, I got to go to FedEx first. So we went to FedEx. My package was the last package going down the little conveyor belt <laughs> as it was just like bobbing down the conveyor belt. It was the last package going out for FedEx. And I went, well, there it goes. And I'm the kind of person that, uh, or the kind of actor that lets things go. A lot of actors will go in and, and they'll f- frustrate themselves over not getting a part or getting a part. I don't worry about that. I've never worried about that. I've just gone in and done my work.
1: You read for Valentina and then you also mentioned the cop. Are you talking about the FBI the FBI the, the, agent. the one that was working with Adriana? Yes. Okay. Go back to uh the conveyor belt. You push it off, you see it go away, and then what happens next? Do you get uh, a phone call? I the- had a
0: phone call from from my manager within 24 hours. He said uh you got to get on a plane. <laughs> And I said, oh, okay, and I'm thinking I'm going to go and audition with whoever they had, whomever they had. But I, I I didn't realize they cast me. I land, and I go to the studio, and they're like, okay, we're getting you into wardrobe. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um,
1: so no David Chase, no George Ann. It was, all, it was all signed, sealed, and delivered.
0: Signed, sealed, and delivered. Based I, on the tapes? Based on the tapes. Do you
1: have those tapes today still?
0: Well no I I copied it for Georgian. Well we have the the one that was on the little recorder. Yeah, so um, you do
1: have like your source audio. Yeah, Karen, your source video. Karen
0: Mizells. She's the casting director. She's a really really good friend of mine and she's just freaking awesome in every way.
1: So you get there, you get the wardrobe were you were you tripping out about the wardrobe cuz Valentina had some nice pieces to wear.
0: I looked at Juliet the costume designer and I was like, "Wow." I said, you're you're gonna make it really difficult for me to go back into normal clothing after this. Yeah. Because <laughs> the clothes the clothes they were putting on me was was uh I mean, you know, high end. Worthy high, of an art gallerist. And and high in couture. Yeah. It was it was it was high in couture clothing. Um <laughs> so this is kind of on the side. I remember uh my deal was to do some nudity, which was a, a, a fragile area for me. Um, Did
1: you know that before you got on the plane?
0: Um, yeah, it okay. was, look, I, I, it was Sopranos.
1: Yeah, I knew a- what I was game.
0: In, knew, I, I knew what I was in for. Um, I just didn't know to what extent <laughs> until we were at the table read-through and I actually had the script in my hand and I'm like, oh boy, how am I going to do this? Um, and fortunately, you know, I had a great relationship with Jimmy, so I... Had implicit trust with him, so I looked at Juliet, the costume designer, and I just said, "You're going to make it really difficult for me to to go back into my my Levi's." Um, read the script, realized that you know there was more nudity than I thought there would be, and when every time they kept bringing me back, there was more and more nudity, <laughs> and so I finally I I, I <laughs> went into. Uh, The producer's office, Eileen Landers, and (laughs) I said, you know, I love you. I'm coming to you with an open heart with this, but, you know, all this nudity is not in my contract. But if you trade me my clothes, (laughs) maybe we can work something out. Because I knew they weren't going to pay me more. Yeah. Uh, But I I thought, you know, I I can bargain and and make a deal with them, which is why I'm so good in real estate. (laughs) Did it work? Of course it did. I got to take my clothes. I've got some stunning clothes from from the show, but what am I going to do? I can't wear it out on the street. Of course not. I I like to go under the radar and incognito when I'm out in public. I dyed my hair blonde at one point because I was getting harassed uh, to a certain extent, and I thought I'll just dye my hair. Because
1: of Valentina?
0: Because of Valentina, yeah. Really?
1: How recently was that?
0: Every time it's on. So, even people who hadn't seen the show that are just catching up on the show are getting.
1: But it's always on, it's on demand. Right. So,
0: there's people that are new fans every day. They go on the internet and they find my email address because uh, I'm a real estate broker. Right. So, they're finding me. You're a civilian. I'm a civilian. Yeah. That's not
1: like a daily problem for you, right? How, oh, it's been a huge problem it's been for a huge me problem. because
0: people have reached out to me pretending yeah. to be interested in real estate just to get to know me. So I'd have my assistant vet them yeah. and go through, you know, um, I always the the first way to get someone to hang up is to ask them for the proof of funds. There's certain ways that that the predators will not hang up and they'll send in falsified proof of funds. So I had one guy in New York, um his mom's a realtor. I won't say his name because it's just too shameful. Uh, Raymond Sakura. But uh, anyway, he emailed me <laughs> uh, trying to get me to show him some homes, sent me falsified proof of funds from uh, from Chase Manhattan Bank. And when I received it, I was like, this doesn't look right. And I called Chase to verify the manager of the bank and to ask if this letter from the bank was, was uh, legitimate. And of course it wasn't. Um, and that's a that's a felony. Yeah. Unfortunately, I had to submit what he had sent me, and they got a hold of him.
1: The sex scenes were uncomfortable. I can't even imagine what it must be like, to be honest with you. It's uh, You're putting yourself out there into the world, to say the least. How did you prepare for that? How did you prepare for that role? How did you get into Valentina? What aspects of Leslie Bega are in Valentina, if any?
0: It's a good question. And I think there's aspects of myself that are in every character um, that I play, because... In order to be committed and authentic, you have to dig into your own experiences in life. I th- that's why I think that the older actors and actresses are so much more interesting to watch. I mean, Judy Dench and Meryl Streep and Helen Mirren, who I worked with. I worked with Helen Mirren when I was a teenager on, um, on a, a remake of, what was it called... i will re—I'll remember it. it w- but that was my first experience of working with Helen Mirren, and I and uh, and I think so. There's, if you can look it up, that would be really great. It—it it was an old. Re- it was a show that was remade. Oh, the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, Thank there you. you. Go. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. Twilight. Zone. Okay, yeah. so um, I was
1: looking at her thing, and I almost got lost in the tunnel because she's got. That she's, might not be on. She's there. so prolific. Yeah, she's well, so prolific her, and such an. Of, the Amount of credit she has. I was thumbing through it and then I got uh, a little bit of anxiety.
0: <laughs> well, that probably won't, it wouldn't even be on there. It was one of her earlier. It would be.
1: Well, it's all there, but you just have to keep thr- scrolling through. Yeah. Like years and years of work.
0: So, yeah, I remember working with Helen Mirren uh, on The Twilight Zone when I was, gosh, 14, 15. Um, and I just had a, a light bulb go off and um, w- just working with. Actors that have had such great life experiences were always more interesting to me. So I think there's an aspect of myself in every role I play, and I think the older I get, the more I can bring to those roles
1: you were asked to do something that you were uncomfortable doing. So uh, it's more of a human question. Forget about your job. Forget about acting for a minute. How do you get mentally ready to do something that you're uncomfortable doing or that you don't necessarily want to do?
0: I, I think it's easy with a show like The Sopranos. If, it, if it's a director, I mean, that you, that you feel... Tim Van Patten and Alan, who was in here, that you, that you interviewed with these incredible directors... Um, you know that it's about telling the story so i commit myself to telling the story about these two people who had hot effing sex yeah and that was like the primary basis of their relationship yeah um and it was just hot and fiery and how do you how do you have that come across on screen you have to show their their incredible passion and and attraction and, and it's hot and it's and it's undeniable, and it's when two people can't resist each other, that they have no recourse but to be together, because they everything else goes out the window. Yeah. There's people in the world that feel that way, and they're in marriages. And they're like, oh my God, I've just had this incredible physical, um, or, or mental, or emotional, or any type of spiritual, whatever it is, connection with that person. Yeah. And it's undeniable, and you can't not embark on a journey of discovery because it's all part of life's experiences i mean you can it's a choice everything in life is a choice so for me to get myself to uh bring myself to that place was i committed to telling the story yeah and it was also interesting too because jimmy and i we hadn't seen each other since get shorty so we were going out to dinner lunch and dinner every night Um, we'd go to different restaurants and we got really comfortable with each other. So that, that was another part of it too. And we would talk and, um, that's
1: interesting when you know, you're going to do something that, that, that's that sort of intense and, and, um, aggressive, I guess you need to get comfortable with each other. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it doesn't come off. It doesn't translate on camera. Right. And and it actually translated very nicely. I mean, for obvious reasons, but like it actually looked like, again, you were, you were in the moment and What you're describing kind of explains how,
0: right? And and that backstory for for Jimmy and I was very different than my backstory that uh, Joey Pants, I call him Joe Pantoliano, and I created. So, for instance, um, Jimmy and I would go out to dinner and we would just connect, and we would we we created a more intimate relationship together. So when we did have these things to go into, you know, we had a, a, a very deep relationship and friendship and love for each other, um, and felt safe with each other. Uh, Joey Pants, on the other hand, I arrived, He was it was one of my first scenes with him, and I was like, oh, God, you know, we have to portray that we've been dating, and we have this incredible connection, and I just met the guy literally this morning <laughs> yeah. at the table reading yeah. through, what am I going to do? So, uh, so I went up to him, and I said, hey, what do you think about creating a backstory? with me? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great, that'd be great. I love working with actors that are just... That get it. That get it, and that, that are well-trained, and that really understand the importance, how imperative it is to have that. Um, some of them just will will be like you know I don't need to learn my lines and I don't I'm just gonna go with the flow and be in the moment. That's fine. That's the process. But um, I think this added so much to what Joey and I brought to the table because the things that we created together and talked about, we were laughing hysterically um, about our backstory and how we met.
1: What was the backstory? Can you share that?
0: <laughs> and one of them was. Uh, <laughs> one of them was I love Joey for this reason. One of them was uh, okay. How we met was <laughs> we uh, we were out at some nightclub. Now I, I'm somebody personally who's I don't drink, I don't I don't do drugs, I don't smoke, I never have. I just so it was kind of strange creating this, but it was that was the all um, the more fun. Um, we met at night a nightclub, and we got drunk off of our asses and started snorting crystal meth and screwing in the bathrooms. And the next thing, you know, we were up for three days in a row going to these underground clubs in New York where they have that pink foam that falls. And like we did, we did this whole backstory of our debauchery of a relationship. And it, and it was so exciting and so fun. And I think it came across too, because we had, when you see Joey and I, uh, you know come on into the scene together you're like what what's going on with these two people and it's so interesting to watch our
1: well her whole dynamic with him is especially with tony is that this guy's idiosyncratic as hell oh yeah and so that the backstory played into that
0: yeah which is why we created that and 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 joey's one of those actors that is just so committed he's so brilliant he just commits to everything and yeah and uh that's why i love working with him so much um and then you know we meet, and then Tony and I meet, which is a completely Tony and I meet, and it's a completely different. Um, I want to say a whole different realm of of a relationship, which is actually reflected by the backstory that him and I had. There is a, a, a deeper intimacy, and for him for him to go out of his way to not only steal. Uh, you know, Ralphie's horse, but he, you know, he takes, he steals his girl, steals the horse and kills him over, over me and over, over all of this. That's, that's a, that's a pretty intense, um, sequence, not only sequence, but yeah, like the the objective to be, to be with this girl.
1: What was Tony's objective with Valentina? Was it obviously there was attraction, but did he want to stick it to Ralphie? was that part of, like, the, the energy between the three of you? Was that Tony always kind of had it out for Ralphie from the episode that you're introduced to him, the, which is the episode where his mother dies, Prochet Lavushka. He sees Ralphie for the first time. It's the replacement to the Richie April character. And the way the camera kind of just hangs on Ralphie for a moment, you automatically know that you're not supposed to like this guy. <laughs> so from a viewing standpoint, it's like, okay, who's this guy, right? And then when Valentina comes into the picture... It's another way for Tony to just sort of let Ralphie know who's boss? Who's boss? Did that play into
0: any of this? Well, and that's the great thing about the Sopranos and, and the fans and, and the viewers. The Sopranos was so brilliant because David created an uh an open door for you to take in and create what you think it is.
1: Alternate universes. Yeah,
0: because because the, the, the characters are telling their own experiences and their stories. yeah. So you're getting something not only from the actors, but from the director, sure from from the writers. And it's David left this open door for you to create whatever you thought it was. That's why at the end of the sopranos, when it goes black, don't stop believing. You can believe and think whatever you want. And whatever you think it might be, and it can be, but you never know. And that's a, a metaphorically a perfect—it's um, a perfect metaphor for the mafia, for um, for people who live their life doing things of this nature, and uh, and. And you never know. You never know what's coming. You're, you, if you don't have your head on a swivel 24-7 in that type of world, even if you do have your head on a swivel...
1: You're still in danger.
0: Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. And, and that's, that's how, how and why this show is so brilliant. And David created that um, feeling... Of not know like he, like things would happen out of left field all the time in the show, and you'd be just, just struck out of left field because he he was able to create, um, mirror, what that world is like, and that's what draw, draws people in. There's people who have a very predictable life in this world. They get up, they go to work, it's nine to five. They, you know, and and they come home and they have their dinner. You know, it's like it, it's 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 um, uh, scheduled. Whereas The Sopranos was so intriguing because you never knew what was going to happen, and for Tony's character to constantly, no matter what he was doing or where he went or what person he was connecting with and from from one second to the next there was always something going on that was creating that this guy's like what what is this guy going to go through
1: next yeah yeah so true,
0: it, right? And it just gives you that fire attention.
1: Attention, yeah. yeah it keeps constant your attention. Tension. He's always looking over his shoulder everywhere. He, every time he gets out of the car, every time he walks into a new building, every time he walks out of a building, he's always looking until he's not. And that's, and that's the whole paradox of the show.
0: That's not only the juxtaposition and the paradox of the show, but it's, but it's also the aspect of keeping the viewers' attention. Yeah. You just never knew what was going to happen next. So
1: true. If you turn your eye— if you, you cannot leave to go refresh your popcorn or refresh your drink or, you know, get a— You have to watch the show, even in the silent moments, because stuff is happening.
0: And no, Especially not Especially between a lot of, Tony
1: and Carmela and just little, like, little nuance, which is why it's also one of the most rewatchable shows, because the, you, you just, miss things.
0: Yeah, and you just named— You, you just uh, identified something that's so true, the nuances. Yeah. Whether he's looking up at the ducks decks that are flying south— or whether he's watching Carmela bake his favorite lasagna—those yeah. human aspects—totally,
1: like, totally.
0: You have to listen and and keep your eyes open, like like you're an animal about to be eaten in the wild at night, and you can't see a thing. That's the tension and tension that he created in the show.
1: Yeah, 100%. So you appeared in seven episodes beginning in season four and continuing through most of season five. How did you feel about Valentina's final moments, the outcome? Um,
0: you know, again, I think they left her wide open because she didn't die. No. You asked me if I felt it was too abrupt. I don't think that anything... I think everything is is in its right place always. And Radiohead, everything is always in its right place. That's right, Radiohead. If if you think about the type of even the writers, just the brilliance of these writers, everything everything is so specific. Um, They they may have had a plan, and they may not have. Who
1: knows? Let's just say they kept the option open
0: mm-hmm. and they did. Uh,
1: in case they needed it and that's, that's a very strategic thing to do when you're building a show of this magnitude I can imagine.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think it would be really really fun to come back completely deformed Cause, you know she, she third was third degree burns she had third degree burns and yeah. and her hair yeah I mean all of it so she could she could have come back looking like Freddy Krueger coming back to like slowly kill off every single one of the family members for uh, anyone knows she Who could knows? have been
1: cast in Christopher's movie Cleaver <laughs> sure. as one of the characters you know there's all you can get silly with it but the point is is that like the smart thing to do is to preserve the option for the future mm-hmm. because you never know you never know like look what happened with Nancy Marchand Livia Soprano she passed away and they had to call all these audibles all of a sudden in season three and they executed it without a hitch and she was a major she was tony's main foe yeah and his main foe dies of natural causes how do you do that so how do
0: you navigate around how do you that?
1: navigate around that keep your options open keep
0: everything open yeah. and, and you dig and you just make it work that's another thing about this industry
1: make it work what stands out to you the most about david chase
0: um he's he's a, a, a man of few words but the words that he does use are succinct and profound and precise. Uh, he's, he's the strong, silent type.
1: <laughs> What's a memory or two you can share of your time with Jim?
0: Jimmy. oh.
1: <sighs> if you're cool with it, take me back to one of those dinners.
0: What, if, <laughs> what,
1: what would you guys talk about?
0: Well, he loved, the t- he was a foodie. He loved to eat. And I uh, I had a background in the culinary arts. I studied at the Cold d'An Bleu. So we would go to these different, we'd go out to all the great restaurants. Todd English had a restaurant, I think Fig, Fig and Olive. One time we went, uh, and we would go to these restaurants, and 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 the chefs, the, the restaurant tours would see us come in, and they would throw food at us. <laughs> we would just devour, like, the most incredible gourmet food just, fathomable to man. Uh, One time we were sitting in this restaurant and this very inebriated drunk, this kid came up to us. He was in, I don't know if he was in rare form, form. This could have been in normal form for him, but he was, he was lit. He was lit. And he came up to us and looked at me and looked at him and said, what are you doing with her? You could do better. <laughs> and Jimmy goes, whoa, this is my sister. The guy literally got floored and his mouth dropped. And he goes, oh, I'm just so sorry. And I was, you know, we, we were just hanging out for dinner. I wasn't dressed up. I, you know, I don't go out like that. So um, <laughs> the guy Profusely apologized for the rest of the evening. We couldn't get rid of him, and he just kept apologizing. That was funny. Um, but we would try to also go to places where we had um, the serenity in a serene environment, so we can hear each other. Because if when you're going in New York and you're going out to these these uh, these bigger restaurants, it's you know people are people are identifying you, and I'd have people identify me from past other projects that I've done head of the class fans or 902 Beverly Hills 90210 fans i mean all kinds of different people would would say different things to both of us um at different times but it wasn't really about talking about our characters it was really about connecting with each other one on one uh enjoying our relationship and enjoying our connection we had an incredibly profound deep connection and we would uh the things that we would talk about were more about our own life, experiences in our own life. And that's how we created the depth, by sharing so much with each other and becoming really close as friends. I just, you know, I, it it's hard to say, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but to fall in love with someone that you're not in an intimate, physically intimate relationship with. I mean, I... We we just had a, a deep, profound love with each other and loved hanging out together, and it was way different from his, his uh, romantic relationships. It was just very pure.
1: What was life like for you immediately after The Sopranos?
0: That's a really good question. The manager that I had worked with... Um... How do I put this dip- diplomatically? Uh, he, he went through a lifestyle detour, meaning he decided to indulge in far too many recreational pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I hope he had fun. <laughs> uh, so, he, so what happened was um, he thought that I had told his parents about his recreational pharmaceutical issue. And it wasn't me. It was his best friend. So he took it out on me. And people were calling me constantly, trying to get me to come in for auditions. Uh, one of the heads, head agents at William Morris in New York wanted to meet with me. I didn't have an agent. Uh, and he told everyone I was busy because he was, he was angry because he thought it was me. So actually nothing happened after The Sopranos. I thought that it was just dead. And I went back to L.A. I had my license in naturopathic and homeopathic uh, medicine. I thought, oh, what, what can I do with that? I thought, well, I've always been really great at real estate. I bought and sold my own property starting at 17 years old. I was investing at a very young age. I know how to guide people with their investments, as I've done so myself so I thought I'll get my broker's license and I was kind of bored while I was getting my broker's license. I was kind of bored. So I opened the first raw restaurant in LA, a friend of mine and I opened the first raw restaurant in LA back in April of 2000 called raw. Uh, and then we ended up calling it planet raw. Um, no one was, no one had heard of raw food or (laughs) superfoods, And, uh, I also had a friend that was getting airlifted and dropped into the middle of the Amazon and coming back with all these superfoods. And he called me and he said, you know what, I've got malaria, but I've got all these superfoods. And I said, well, let's take you to uh, Dr. Hit Center over in, in Mexico and get you cured of your malaria. And I'll bring you to my friend who has a raw food um, warehouse called uh, rawfood.com. It was sunfood.com. And he was a, he was a master of, um, of health and nutrition and and, like these, these incredible, um, highly dense nutritional food products. So we got all of his stuff packaged. He was coming back with maca, lucuma, goji berries, cacao nibs. None of that was in LA. And he was all of a sudden coming back with all these superfoods and we were incorporating them into the raw foods that we were making at at the raw food restaurant. And I thought, I'll just do this on the side for now while I'm getting my broker's license. So that was just kind of like a little Mm sidestep. Got my broker's license. um, And then I went full-fledged into real estate because everything was dead. And and at that point... What year was that? 2000.
1: What was the real estate market like in L.A. when you started?
0: It was fantastic. It was 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 strong. There's ebbs and flows in in real estate. And there's certain areas that won't ebb and flow as much. When we got hit with our economic crisis, the bottom of the of the economic crisis was in June or July of 2009, but it started in around 2007. Yeah. So I was still in real estate, but because I did commercial real estate as well, I did both. Um, nice I, hedge. Yeah, I hedged it and, um, and worked through it. it. And actually during that time, I had some great clients that I helped purchased some incredible investment opportunities and they turned around and made four times four times the amount of money they spent on the on the properties
1: How did it turn out that you became sort of like the realtor for the Soprano stars was that happenstance or is there a story there
0: Um I was talking with Jimmy and uh cuz you know we uh, of course we were friends we of stayed course. in touch and yeah. I said, hey, uh, I said, are you coming to L.A.? Are you have any plans to come into L.A.? And I said, I've got my broker's license. Let everybody know. Um, talked with everybody I knew from Joey, Lorraine, Edie, everyone I c- could connect with and 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 talk to about it. I did. I said, if you're looking for anything, a good viable, profitable investment opportunity, if you just want to put some money aside and you want to invest something but you're not, you know, Stocks are too precarious for you. You will always make your money back in real estate. And every time I would go to the um, global economic conferences, even during the crisis, I would notice that properties annually would increase one to three percent annually, no matter what. Yeah, they would go up, even if they'd snail up. They'd go. They'd they'd increase. Up is up. Up is up, especially especially in LA. Sure. Um, and certain areas of New York. So. Then uh, I just reached out to a lot of people in the, in the theatrical industry. Um,
1: you hustled. That's but I awesome. wasn't
0: hustling without something to offer. Of course, I was hustling saying, course. I can help you. Right, no. I can help you with your finances. I can be your go-to person. Yeah. If you want to know what the market's doing right now, if you want to know price per square foot in a certain area, if you want to know what your ROI or your, your, your profit margin is going to be, if you invest in something and you flip it out, I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. This is this is my forte. I'm really good at it, and uh, that's how that that's how I ended up starting just working with everybody. Um, word of mouth from the show, yeah, yeah, word of mouth, and and they all you referred start... me. Trickles down from there, and then with friends, I would give a, I would give a certain percentage of my net commission, and I would say, hey, let me help you.
1: Right, right. If, let if me give you something back. Yeah, if you're, you're
0: waiting, if you're waiting tables, and you want to receive a, a nice check just for being a consultant because you can't do referrals anymore but you can you can pay someone to actually come on and and help you as a consultant
1: what does that mean you can't do referrals anymore
0: well quote-unquote referral fee is pretty much illegal now you can't you can't offer referrals but you can say hey you're helping me and you're bringing me clients and I'm helping your your friends so you're now a consultant because you're helping your friend you're helping me and you're helping the introduction so that it's
1: Playing with language. Mm. Little, yeah. It's all creative, it's isn't it? It's all creative, it? yeah.
0: But you have to do it legally.
1: Of course, of course. I come from the world of law, so...
0: What kind of lawyer are you?
1: So I went to law school, and then I got a advanced degree in tax law. So I'm, I'm a trained tax lawyer, but... Uh, I've always had a creative bug. I'm a failed musician, and that's why I'm really good with audio.
0: Don't say failed.
1: Yeah, well, I'm here. You're a musician. That's not failed. And I'm doing what I want. Do
0: do you still play music?
1: I do, and I also um, have built this company where I'm able to pursue, like we're we're doing a Radiohead project. So I'm, you know, like that's, I found my way. It took me a while, but uh, very inspired by David Chase because he did a lot of his best work later because he was trying to figure it out. And he, all,
0: and he did figure it out. You don't
1: always figure it out. And I'm not saying that I ever will even get, like, even to be a tenth of what he is. But the mindset that I have is just keep going. Like, you keep going in the direction you want to go and you'll get there.
0: I I, I agree. And I think that that uh, relates and reflects every aspect of life. But it was really interesting because I think David had another script that he submitted before the Sopranos. And they said to him... Uh, why don't you write about this subject? This is something that I heard, yeah. but I, and I don't know if There's that's true There's a lot Sturna. of conjecture
1: out there. A lot. One thing that has kind of been established is that this was pretty much DOA. They were not interested. Uh, his deal with Brillstein was coming to an end, and they were like, you're a great writer. We haven't been able to do anything with you. Fox is not interested. He was going to sign up on another overall deal with another company, and literally at that same sort of, like, crossroads... HBO got their hands on the pilot and was like, let's do it. But even then, he was thinking it was just going to be made into a pilot, and then maybe he could convince them to give him budget for an additional 90 minutes and make it into a feature. It's a case study, and, like, keep going. You never know what'll happen. And had he not done the pilot, you would have never had the chance to make it the series that it was. Uh, Okay, wrapping up lightning round. I'm going to say a name, and you say the first word that comes to mind. James Gandolfini.
0: <laughs> you want me to say one word? One word. How can I say one word for Jimmy? I can say two words. Sure. He was a devil angel. <laughs> he he was he was this you know he he had such incredible humanity and he was so true to himself in so many ways and then he just had this you know side to him that was uh, <laughs> that was that uh, was a ruckus a ruckus causer. He was he was he was a it was a rebel in so many ways.
1: By the way, I just heard um, Valentina's laugh from the show. Uh, David Chase, Savant, Joe Pantoliano,
0: uh, um, hilariously brilliant.
1: <laughs> Have you read anything good lately?
0: You know, I, I read I read plays a lot, okay, and I and I'm an avid reader. I read the papers yeah i read uh new york Times, la times new york times usa today um new york post like i'll, I'll constantly be reading the news it sounds like
1: you have a pretty steady media diet then
0: yeah i'm, I'm you know on my sundays i'm not watching I'm, I'm watching 60 minutes i'm you know and and if i'm not doing that and i really want entertainment um i go to the opera a lot uh, or i go to plays a lot one of my dearest clients is the head conductor for the la opera him and his wife. I gravitate towards more cultural things. I go to museums a lot and I'll go by myself.
1: You say that like that's a bad thing or like a...
0: No. Yeah. It's beautiful. I go
1: to the movies by myself. People think it's weird, but I, I just actually like I to go too. by myself <laughs> I because that. I don't want to feel like I have to entertain the person next to me or something. It's like a weird, like I'm here to watch the movie, but I get it. Some people are, uh, a lot of people like to do things, the feeling of uh, uh, gregariousness or like camaraderie but cultural stuff, movies... Um, I even go to concerts by myself. Do you go to concerts by yourself? Alone? I have done. That is slightly depressing. Uh, like, <laughs> but I, but I, I go... Sometimes I, my, my wife and I just can't... We can't align our schedules and I want to go see an artist, an act, play. But I feel the most awkward at a concert. I don't feel that way at museums. I don't feel that way at movies. It's weird. Leslie, it's been an honor. Thank you. It's
0: been such an absolute pleasure meeting Thank you. you completely. <phone rings>